Blog Talk Radio. Why don't you come on out to the Hey Girls Americana Radio Show, hosted by Song River and Carol Pacey of Carol Pacey and the Honey Shakers. All coming to you live on KWOD Independent Internet Radio, broadcasting from the Ice House Tavern in Phoenix, Arizona. All sound recorded and mixed by Vintage Note Records. Come on out, check out the show, and then visit the website at blogtalkradio.com backslash radio. We'll see y'all out there. Okay, I guess it would help if I turn the microphone on on the show. Our first story up tonight, NASA scientists say they figured out a way to use X-rays to both communicate with long-distance spacecraft and navigate as they sail past the outer limits of the solar system. Now, they say X-rays is faster than existing radio wave communication. They carry more information and won't be blocked when spacecraft enter a planetic atmosphere. Now, they can also use the X-rays to navigate, and one of the missions coming up soon that they'll be testing this on is the NASA mission nicer sexton due out in August 2016. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Check out the link we've got on the site and see what happens. The comforts of home are traveling up to the ISS. More and more as each mission comes along. Now, um, <laughs> this week, they've added, and you're going to love this. Oh, no, not coffee. It's coffee. And... Pretty close to Starbucks, from what I understand, at least intent-wise. The astronauts oh receive God, what? Starbucks in space. Starbucks in space. Mm-hmm. Well, it would probably be a cup-shaped spacecraft with a straw off the top. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No? no? Oh, that's right. They got that cute little cup lid with the little slot in it. Oh, that would be where the thrust is. Of course, you know, another way to look at That's right. You know, another way to look at the Starbucks thing is, is that it's a city cup for drops. I, I, you know, I have a question. Why would astronauts need coffee? I mean... It's not about a need. It's it's about a, a little comfort. I mean, coffee is a comfort food, is it not? For yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. Okay. I remember they used to get the higher bag. You know, and I'm their own way beyond luxury when you send it to the moon. <laughs> well, we're not sending it to the moon yet. Well, to the International Space Station. Now, they've called this thing the Espresso Coffee Machine. Watch out. Watch out, Apple. Um, a new zero-gravity machine was delivered. <laughs> can I get to the news item and then you can talk? Well, that could be interesting <laughs> in support of our manned space program. Sure. Okay. The IS the Ispresso IS Espresso machine to the ISS by astronaut Samantha Christopher Reddy, and we'll be talking about the Soyuz launch to carry them up in a little while. But uh, astronauts of the station will finally be able to enjoy a decent brew thanks to the 20-kilogram machine designed by famed Italian coffee makers, Lavazza, and engineering firm Argotech, which specializes in making space food. 
So, yeah, they'll be able to actually have uh, another comfort food brewed on the station. So I guess that means we can send called coffee beans instead of coffee kits. Well, since they're not getting it at a drive-thru, they can't sue anybody. <laughs> Theirs is a fly-through. That's not covered oh, by insurance anymore. <laughs> Alright. <clears throat> oh, by the way, I got I did put that link up. Okay. Next up on our list, and again, this also comes uh in some exciting, uh highly anticipated process here. Um the International Space Station is also uh has also received and actually set up a three D printer. Now, one of the, the key issues of a spacefaring civilization is the ability to manufacture goods, parts, materials, and so forth. The ISS or on the moon or on Mars, wherever yeah, you happen to be. That, yeah. And we've been waiting for this one for quite a while. Now, uh, the 3D printer was installed aboard the ISS for a tryout orbit. And on board, it was installed inside a safety housing in a space station's destiny laboratory module. Now, for those of you not familiar with uh, 3D printers, it's also called additive manufacturing. We're used to hearing about lathes and tools that work uh, a chunk of metal or a chunk of wood to carve or cut or mill something out of that chunk. Now, the problem with traditional methods like this is that they are uh, they cut material away to end up with a product at the end. And you end up with a lot of waste. Printing is an additive process, and it works by extruding a special type of hot plastic uh, or basically ABS plastic. And this is a lot like um, the black plastic drain pipe that you see in the home grocery stores. It's very similar to the same plastic. Like that, to to home store. Well, it could be a hardware store. It could be a hardware store, a home food store, Lowe's, uh, a Home Depot. Duplicate of that unit, 
and they run it at one of the NASA locations labs here on Earth so that they can compare the results and see not only does it work, discover. Well, when you're working in microgravity uh, on Earth, the 3D printer depends on the weight uh, and calculations to move the platform down as each new layer is added. This printer actually had to be redesigned, had to be redesigned to do calculations rather than allowing the weight of the item to, to do it. So I said there's a lot of different problems. Plus, working in, in the uh, uh, microgravity, you also have potential of little spots of, of plastic dropping off, not adhering and floating away. Ah. Talk about a hot foot. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, I, you foot. Thinking, I just got this vision of acclimation or anyone with those little, little plastic pieces. Oh, man. That would be so like, a total recall. You remember when he had to pull that thing out of his nose? Oh, man. <laughs> oh. That's yeah, oh, this would be just a little teeny tiny drop. This thing would burn and burrow and dig its mm -hmm. way right okay, into your brain stem. That's not
because we've got to go with the public. We can't just have the public funding it through taxes and uh, all sorts of NASA projects that send astronauts only in small crews. Um, forever to get over there. Excuse me if I have a paper plane. What you know? You always keep lying to me. Hello, I'm here. Well, yeah. I'm trying to. Move on to the next thing. Speaking of which, Soyuz rolls out to the launch pad for Sunday's liftoff. Commission approves the new ISS Expedition. Forty-two crew members uh, will be launching Sunday. That's today. Six-hour ride, taking the shortcut to the ISS. And yeah. Well, the actual the, the typical trip to the ISS takes three days. They actually go. Why wouldn't they pull the straight shot to the ISS? Why would they need a shortcut? Because there's no such thing as a straight shot. Keep in mind, the ISS goes around the Earth every ninety minutes. So if you're shooting shooting the space crew rocket up at one particular time, you've got to time it so that when you get to the space, when you get up into orbit, the space stations are waiting on you. Well, that's kind of the point. Yeah. I mean, it takes... Uh, yeah. And for the space station, what type of space station are over? Because their orbits, uh, I don't know if you've ever looked at their orbits around the Earth. They probably fly over every until uh, recently. Up until this past year or so, uh, everybody used the three-day trip to get to the International Space Station. Now, all cargo still follows the three-day trip, but the Russians came up with a six-hour trip to get the uh, astronauts up there a lot quicker. I mean, six hours against three days? Yeah, I'd take a short trip. Why would they waste days? Because they didn't want to risk issues on a six-hour run. What are they, you remember the old thing, haste makes waste? Yeah, it three, does days, take, three days versus six hours is a whole lot of gasoline and dodging theories. No, they're not, but they're not burning fuel once they get to orbit for that three days. And in actuality, they use a lot less fuel on the three-day trip than they do on the six-hour trip. Probably because they use Oh yeah, they're they're coming up and they're just they're going straight up and catching up to the ISS direct. I mean it's 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 a direct shot and it takes a lot of fuel. That's an expensive shot. But you're right, it does save two and a, two and three quarters days time for the astronauts that they could actually be working and producing stuff. Loading, unloading, yeah. It's definitely a, a cool kind of thing. Um the new ISS crew, Rough Cosmos at cosmonaut Anton Skalparov, European Space Agency's astronaut, and the ISS flight engineer Samantha Christopheretti, who is delivering the coffee maker. Okay. So oh that's God, it the, takes a person to deliver the coffee maker. Well, I guess. But I that's how they planned it, right? I mean, how it goes from there, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll see how it happens. Oh, and I guess I should put that link out here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, next up on.
on our international news is launch of the European space plane has been set for February 11th of 2015. That's that's a couple of years away. Uh, well, about a year and a couple of months. Um, so and that's that's pretty ex- exciting. Uh, they they're launching a lightweight experimental February 11th of 2015 French commercial launch service provider Ariane Space. Uh, said based on joint work by ESA and CNES, the date for the, the mission to be launched by Vega was set and announced. And Arian Space will resume launch preparations in early 2015. So interesting stuff coming up the pike. We've got a lot of stuff going on, so you guys got to keep up. Tune in each week. We'll help you stay caught up. Russian studies construction of its own orbital station. Now, this is something that we ran into a, a few months ago. Oh, that's 
to, to say to develop. No well, no most of these places don't. You know, we are probably one of the very few handful of news shows or news programs that actually deliver links to either articles or to pages and so forth. Even the articles don't have links. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. Well, they don't want you to leave the page, and that's that's being selfish. Yeah, it is what it is. Well, I would agree with that. Now, the second toy that Elon is talking about, and and I mention these as toys because, well, it's kind of fun thinking of Elon as as Mr. Iron Man, these rich man with these toys. Yeah, you know, uh, and and you know, he is. I can see him tapping on a machine on his body and saying, "Let's go get him." I suppose he could. I suppose he could. Uh, but the second thing that he's he's been working on for, and you know, the picture shows this thing's done. It's ready to go. So they've been working on this for a while, and it's a platform that's going to sail out into the uh, into the ocean, and it's going to be there at the right spot for the next booster to come down and land on. So he's he's moving forward with this idea of booster recovery. And we're the last, the last three attempts coming down to speed zero over the ocean. Now he's actually going to come down and physically land on this floating platform. Yeah. So this is the next step of his booster recovery and uh, space uh, space program. And of course, speaking of that, uh, the uh, announcement was made of the next launch for SpaceX next cargo delivery to the space station as December 16th, just uh, a couple of weeks away, actually. Now, the mission is uh, SpaceX fifth with 12 targeted to the ISS and third launched during this year. It'll be the 14th of its Falcon 9 rockets since 2010, cover the rocket's first stage, and for the first time again, as I said, we'll be landing on the booster platform uh, That's not relative to manned spaceflight. Leave it alone. To land the booster on a platform deployed in the Atlantic Ocean if the structure is ready. Now, it looks like it's going to be ready, but we'll have to wait and see what they say. Hopefully, they'll be launching that off and uh, letting us know the results. All right. We've heard notes from Ariane Space. We've heard notes from United Launch Alliance. Uh, referencing, and we've heard notes from China. Everybody's uh, myth at Elon for starting this whole reusable rocket program. I know. How dare him? How dare he rock the boat? <laughs> United... Uh, what, what do you want? What are you looking for? Oh, okay. Give Mr. Musk a big hand. Big hand for Mr. Musk. He's cool. United Launch Alliance CEO Tori Bruno reiterated a promise to transfer ULA into a more affordable nimble launch provider as it braces for increased competition from SpaceX. But ULA won't mimic SpaceX's focus on developing rockets that are reusable anytime soon. Now, he points out and says, for the near term, expendable rocket flight is going to be the most practical and cost-effective access to space. 
he said Thursday during a talk at the Atlantic Council of D.C. And in the rest of the article, there's a few more details on what they may or may not do. But the bottom line is, they ain't going to make no reasonable up. His, his reasoning has to do with the fact that it takes more fuel. Well, SpaceX already said that. It takes more fuel to recover the booster when it comes down. So he, well, he lengthens, yeah. yeah. So he lengthens the rocket, added a little more space for the extra fuel. They adjusted their notes so that there's still enough to deliver the cargo they planned on. So I I, I really don't see what uh, Mr. Bruno's problem I, yeah, is. I, I Why can't they do that? <laughs> Calm down. Calm down. You're, you're beginning to sound like me. And that's, that's kind of scary. Yeah. But I do once in a while. I get on the stand on the platform. Come on. Oh, I don't, we can't figure that out, so we're not going to do it. Right. By the way, here's a link to the article on Mr. Bruno's <laughs> comments. Uh, again, uh, where it talks about uh, his initial comments and why he hey, thinks well, that... Uh, maybe he can do it. But apparently somebody else can. Yeah, there you go. But you know what? Get out of the way then. But you know, remember I've said before, when we talk about authors, when we talk about inventors, when we talk about yeah, businesses, there's always this problem of first-to-marketitis. First-to-market is not always the final winner. Oh, sure. Mr. Bruno's going to take the ideas and say, oh, well, that's case. And then he's going to make something better just because. Just because. Yeah. And, you know, that's what competition is all about. Yeah. You, you well, climb right on now, the coattail. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what did they what did they say to the Wright brothers? The Wright brothers actually oh, they own that. You can't they, fly. They can't if God fly. is meant, meant to fly, they have wings. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. That. Yeah. Ohio and, generation there. Oh yeah. Ingenuity. Kick some butt. Uh huh. Okay. All right. Coming also out of uh, you know uh, we saw last uh, week or was the week before I think. When uh, we had, and also the Cygnus uh, craft was lost on a Terry's launch. And uh, now, in the wake of the Virgin Galactic uh, loss, a couple in Winter Park, Florida has been interviewed and says they're still committed to flying to space aboard Virgin Galactic despite the fatal test flight in California. Kudos to them. Kudos, absolutely. Sharon and Mark Hagel. Yeah, uh, they were devastated. This is Sharon and Mark Hagel of Winter Park Four were devastated by the October 31st av- a- accident that devastated the destroyed Spaceship Two and killed co-pilot Michael Alster and injured uh, pilot Peter Seibel. Now, the Hagel said that they understand that with every great adventure, there are risks. Now, these are real pioneers. Okay, and expressed support for the team attempting to get the first commercial space flight service. Sharon said. They're not discouraged, and we celebrate our pilot's courage, and they will be etched forever in our minds as heroes who took the risk for all of us and future generations. Now, the Hagels were early buyers of their $200,000 ticket to Virgin Galactic back in 2007. More than 700 people have signed up for these flights. So uh, the tickets now cost. Well, they got theirs at a discount. Okay, um, we'll ask them when they do, okay? <laughs> well, 
I don't know. You know, we see businesses do that all the time. Price goes up for a while, and well, then all of a sudden it goes on sale. about uh, Lunar Mission 1 a little bit ago, uh, <clears throat> new scientists actually had a little bit more detail on the mission. Uh, they talk about how um, you can actually, and you talked about public involvement, right. Right? you can actually send a piece of your DNA on the spacecraft to be buried in the time capsule. And yeah. the plan is to establish a lunar archive containing human DNA and a digital record of life on Earth uh, was unveiled this week with Lunar Mission oh 1. Oh, I can see a story about that. Oh, but, oh, thinking of stories, oh you've got to listen to this line. Okay, Miss Sci-Fi Girl, you've got to listen to the line here. Okay. I love the way this just worked out. This is just funny the way it worked out. British space consultant David Iron, who has worked on Skynet, the UK spy satellite network, and Galileo, the European Union's global Skynet. I know. They built a Skynet. Why would and they, it's it's a know, it's a network. Why would anybody unless they think they're funny? However he's funny if you have to call it Skynet. <laughs> you know, it wouldn't surprise me to find out that this that the British Skynet and the Skynet film were probably not were probably conceived in both the same time. Or one was the inspiration. Oh, yeah. This reality is changing fiction, people. That it is. That is. You got to watch out for the real yeah. stuff. I know. The, the real right stuff. stuff. This stuff is scarier oh, yeah. and more weirder <laughs> than any real fiction authors yeah. are known to be like out there. But now, that's what they got me. This guy, David Iron. Uh, has the idea that he's going to charge people 50 pounds, that's uh, British money, or so, to place a sample of their DNA in the form of a strand of hair in an archive to be buried on the moon, alongside a digital history of as much of their lives as they want to record. So not only does your DNA go, but an actual brief history of your life, a profile. This, 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 that's, that's hey, a you know what? You know what they could call it? I know what they could call it. Are you ready for this? <laughs> no. We call it not Facebook. We call it Moon Book. Moon Book. Moon Book. Or Moon Face. Okay. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things you could call this. All right. Anyway, they're going to, in an archive, carry it on the moon. Oh, yeah. Well, it's Lunar Mission 1. You know what I hope they do? Is I hope they let people actually connect to uh, the Internet to a place that actually connects to the thing up on the moon when it's buried and let you see what's up there other than just to a local site that shows you what they sent. Wouldn't that be cool? And they can use x-rays to transmit it back and forth. <laughs> oh, the next thing that we have to look at is what's the catch to make all this happen? Uh, 
Penny's ten million. Well, yeah, okay. Well, Iron presented the plan at a space flight conference at the Royal Society in London on on November 19th. Catch. He needs at least 10 million Earthlings to do this if he's to generate the 500 million pounds the moonshot will need. Of course. Well, you, so. I, I really confused you. You didn't read the very beginning. Yeah, I did. It's like, oh, it's like in that 2001 space out. Okay. I'm sorry. Now we're actually putting the DNA thing. Well, if they put, see, see look what they're, they're saying. They want, they, they, as much of their lives, they want to record in the form of text, pictures, music, and video. But go along, play with your, with your hair piece. Right. And but that's going to be stored in a thing buried on the moon. What are they going to bury? A baby monolith with all the stuff in it. Okay. I mean, right? Exactly. Isn't that, isn't exactly. that great? I just think it's <laughs> Make it look like a baby monolith. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> oh, my God. We've got to write him a letter. Rolling in his grave right now. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. of course. Saying I'm worse, I told you guys. Yeah. yeah. So, but, yeah, I mean, he, uh, we got to send him a letter. He's in the shape and painted black like the monolith. Yeah. From 2001 A Space yeah. Odyssey. That would just... That would yeah. actually get people's interest. Yeah. It would freak them out while they want to do it anyway. Sure. <laughs> and then when I asked her enough to get back to the moon, they could dig it up and say, here's a monolith. Just like in Space 2001. It'll be fact making fiction a reality. I know. Wouldn't that be weird? That's weird. That's weird. I can see the news story. Astronauts on Earth, tiny monolith. Oh, there's a guy joke in there somewhere, isn't there? Oh, anyway, moving on with the news. In related tech, uh, the crowdfunding campaign in support of development of the High Frontier Space Settlement Simulator we talked about a little while ago, is just $1.5,000 short of reaching its goal of $10,000 by November 26th. Now, in recent news, the Space Frontier Foundation has endorsed the campaign uh, on Kickstarter, uh, this, and the goals of the High Frontier Project are such free membership to anyone who pledges $25 or more to the project. Existing members are also strongly encouraged to help as a success of the High Frontier will directly support SFF's mission of opening the Space Frontier for all. Definitely uh, an interesting read. They go into a lot more detail on uh, the game and some of its development. Uh, so definitely uh, a good read on that. Another another item. Now, um I stum- I literally I stumbled upon this article and it just it struck me as an interesting presentation. And when we talk about space settlement, this becomes a valid question. Looking up at the night sky, it's hard not to wonder how many other planets might be circling those pinpricks of light and how many are home to being gazing back at us. Today, we're starting to get a handle on the number of roughly Earth-sized exoplanets that might be suitable for life, and we've got artist renditions of several of them. And 
what this article presents is, is a scrolling slideshow that demonstrates how we can narrow our search for new Earths or perhaps fill up the destination for the future. And they go into some of the detail of some of the science and stuff that's part of that. So check that out. There's there's really some, some interesting points that they make that I had not yet considered. This week, on our Opportunities to Participate segment, uh, we've talked in the past about uh, Mars missions and the Mars simulated missions, the Mars Society to analog sites. We've talked about space gear. We've talked about uh, Boy Scouts all having different things to do to participate in programs that can further the goals of getting people into space. Well, NASA has announced uh, our new deal. Uh, they actually have a project ongoing. This agreement since April, the Grand Challenge Partner Space Gambit developed ways to connect the maker community with NASA's asteroid work including educational programs and tools to help astronomers and citizen scientists. Now, makers are creative people with a drive to answer questions and find new ways to do things. And, in fact, the 3D printer that we talked about early it was originally started as a maker project. And, in fact, has fueled this maker uh, movement in doing a whole host of, of new things. I mean, people are making everything from toy spacecraft to working plastic guns, which is scary. Why would they want a plastic gun on the moon? Or the ISS? Well, it's not that they want it on the moon, on the ISS. But last week we talked about how the Russians used to have a single weapon that was a shotgun, a rifle, and I think it was, oh, a machete, all in one thing. And they actually carried this. Yeah. They carried this on the Soyuz craft for certain many missions. And when questioned about it, you know what they said it was for? It wasn't for use in space. It was just cheaper. No. They made the weapon so that or your fellow or your fellow cosmonaut. Well, they gave you a gun with uh, with three there. barrels and a blade. So if you run out of if you run out of shotgun shells and you run out of rifle bullets, you can use the machete to hack the animal away. <laughs> But yeah, look, seriously, there are there are people who are making plastic guns. And admittedly, uh, in space, in the future, you're not going to want to carry a metal weapon. It's going to weigh a lot. So plastic weapons, plastic utensils. Okay. All right, I'll rephrase it. It has a lower mass to worry about. Okay. So uh, so check out those projects. I actually I read through some. How you're going to uh, get a <coughs> if it's a high temperature, low friction we're working fine. <coughs> so moving on, check out these ten new projects from from NASA and the Space Gambit partner. I think you'll enjoy some of the options they've presented. Uh, I move into a new thing, especially in time for the uh, the uh, <laughs> holidays. Um, we've got. Gift lists. Now, out of the world gifts for him or her. While the price tag for a ride into space might be out of uh, most people's price ranges this, this year. Somebody's got absolutely everything. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. And they've got lots of gifts. Some of them are, are your traditional uh, gag gifts or just friend gifts because somebody loves something so much, like uh, T-shirts, things like this. But, or, yeah, I, I Star Trek jewelry. So there, there's definitely some neat things out there. Check it out in the gift section. And then, now, those are gifts for the adult. That's a great idea for an article. How do you mean? Well, here we did. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. Uh-huh. Well, while adults might think things are interesting and enjoyable and appreciative, this site, this site actually has some interesting things uh, for kids, the young ones. What do you get for the little spaceman with dreams of stars and rocket flights, a Lego spaceship, engineering toys. Little astronomers everywhere about to find something perfect for them on space.com holiday gift guide. This holiday season. Oh, absolutely. A lot of stuff. Uh, and then just to reiterate some of the other things, check out the uh, uh, marssociety.org website. Check out their uh, two analog stations. They currently have uh, an existing mission out at the analog. I believe they also started a mission recently at the one up in uh, the, the, the other one, uh, Flashline Arctic Research Station. Lots of interesting stuff going on. A lot of, I've seen a lot of stuff on Facebook from the. Uh, or for the person actually, every has absolutely everything. To send their DNA up to the moon. Well, there you go. <laughs> hey, he's only estimating. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, oh no, I can see it now. We get all these little black monoliths sitting there in the, in the lunar regular. Next thing you know, the big one arrives. The big one arrives, yeah. yeah. Attracted by all the comet goes by, and all the little ones gather together and morph into this one big pole. Well, I, that would I be can fun. see that. I'm getting my head already, man. There you go. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who said the news had to be Who said the news could be this much fun? Oh, we never said that. No. <laughs> we just made it happen. Okay, Celestial Suds, oh, uh, Planet Sphere Series. You remember that. Yeah. Uh, Google it. Uh, Boy Scouts, Boy Scouts oh God, Space Exploration. That'd be very present, too. Oh, yeah. Celestial Suds, check it out. That would be an awesome for any space geek. Uh, NASA's got some projects, some books and stuff. Make your own spaceship, too, uh, as one. Make your own, uh, all sorts of models. Uh, things you can do. Another one you can download for free is Orbiter. It's actually a space simulator and space shuttle. Oh, see, that, 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 that. You know, that would probably be like, almost like what happens to the geek in the next But it reminds me of the time when, and Big Bang Theory, where Kennedy uh, got Sheldon uh, the signature of Leonard Nimoy on, on, on the towel, and actually had a DNA of Nimoy. So how did the episode end? Did somebody burn it? No, no. He, he had all these. He wasn't sure they get baskets together. Oh. So he wanted to think, I don't have enough. And he's like, he has like six or seven big baskets. And he's giving them all to her. I'll go down.
trying to get more. <laughs> oh, that's our news for this week. Um, <laughs> there you go. Oh, he's 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 already started to spin, so we get to be crazy. There you go. So, all right. Um, when we're going to take a break, uh, station identification, and we're going to. Um, what can you possibly rebuttal on? <laughs> and then we're going to come back. Oh yeah, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to talk uh, about some news this week. I think uh, bears on space settlement, and that was President Obama's executive order to apply reforms to the immigration system with regards to space settlement, especially in light of the threat in the Yahoo group that I've been following. So come on back after the break, and I'll be sharing some of the comments from this group, and we'll be talking about uh, some potential issues that space settlement will face. So stay tuned, and we will be back. KWOD Radio. Oh, you you ever give them their phone number? No, I never did. (laughs) Just so you know, it's 714-242-5145. But as we get into the commentary section, I invite you to please call in and discuss what we're talking about or share some thoughts uh, of your own. And... uh, Um, and uh, check us out and join us in the conversation as we talk about space settlement after the break.
Welcome back, folks, to the next space show. We're talking about space flight news tonight. And in this portion of our show, we're moving into our commentary. Uh, if you'd like to join the discussion, our number is 714-342-5145. We invite you to call in, or we have our chat line here. Uh, you can join the conversation. Um, I'm taking, uh, by starting with the point of President Obama's executive order to apply reforms to the immigration system. And, you know, thinking about what he was doing and all the politics and the, the, the things that are trying to reform caused me to reflect on uh, uh, space settlement and a lot of the issues that we're going to have to deal with. So let's, I'm going to start us off here with just a, a, a little kind of get the ball rolling kind of thing, where we're sending people one way, uh, much like the Mayflower or the ships that uh, did Jamestown. And these people will go to their destination, whether that's an orbiting space station around the Earth, whether it's the moon or whether it's Mars. Um, the first question that comes to mind is what, what sort of people do we send on these first crew? Well, yeah, resilient, but on astronauts resilient? Well, I would say so. And, you know, well, when you look at considered, you know, especially the first astronauts, to be two heroes. Sure. They first one specifically, I'm sure. They pushed the frontier. I'm sure it was scary. Yeah. And dangerous. You had laundry services, you had hospitals. 
Well, here's another thing that brings us somewhat to a great, to a degree, back to what Obama is. I mean, well, no, not the politics, but the idea of selecting people themselves. You know, I, I think that we are likely, you know, once once the cost of sending people up drops to a point that somebody can make money at it, I guarantee you there are going to be people banging on the gate to bribe, to go, swindle, do whatever they can to get a ticket to go to the new here. I really think that... Right. Question. Uh, uh, 200,000 applying to Stretch Park uh, and the other parts. Um, there are documents that show 20 to 30, 40,000 people did indeed apply and are more than interested in what I tell. I mean, we don't have rockets. To, we don't have enough rockets to send that many people out. Right. Here's the thing. A lot of them have a different conception and this ideal in the world type of. Doctor Who started. It's always spotlessly clean. And he just, where's he able to stand on the ice or whatever, whether it's a You never see him pick up that food stuff. Where's the toilet? And he's constantly walking in the door and throwing his coat or cape or cap onto a hook. Yeah. You know, sometimes he misses. So who picks it up? Yeah. The state hand on the other side. There you go. There you go. But but I agree with you that as those Cubians could probably tell me what those women those Martian are that way. So Cubian can talk. Yeah. What we're looking at here is when we look at space settlement, whether it's in space proper, whether it's on the moon, Mars, or heaven forbid, we reach the moons of uh, Jupiter and Saturn. Um, we have to remember that. Oh, yeah. But you make this great point that it's not going to be the gleaming, shiny. Uh, Spaceship from Disney. It's going to be a messy, dirty operation where you're going to be constantly faced with choices that mission training didn't cover. Yeah, no, we're worse than Firefly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Firefly was kind of you know, not really organized, okay? Which is probably closer to what Lost would be, but they had way too much space. Sorry, well, you know, I, I, I yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. But I'd also say that the Star Trek mentality, oh, yeah. this pristine thing. You know, there was another comment. There was even a new article. Well, they actually have staff. No, they've got stuff with, that repels her. And fingerprints. I guess so. I mean, it's just it's, it's your finger. But then again, they all have good habits. They don't touch the computers except for where the buttons are. You know, I've, I've noticed that. Think about this. When I touch a tablet, when I touch a PC screen, 
and my phone. I mean, it gets all greasy and smudged, and there's there's fingerprints and smears all over it. How come Data never had that problem? Okay, that's my hand when Data was was traveling with him like happy, and he was going, he was singing to the buttons while he was making the noises, and he was in their class. But you know that's that's just it. We we aren't going to get to these things in the near future, and I think it's sad that people are clinging to the idea of an O'Neill cylinder as the first step to get to space. And that's that I believe is today. Uh, the International Space Station is our first step to living space, and we need to recognize that. Uh, we need to push that technology to get more people in space. And if we have to add visual modules or additional modules to Russia or Europe or India or Japan or wherever it is, you're not going to have a room to yourself. And there was I was reading something I was reading something the other day how um well no there was an article about the space station. In fact, I, I remember seeing it on Facebook about an astronaut went up on uh, went up on the shuttle, spent time in the space station, and for a long time she slept in a bag on the ceiling of one of the decks. And she actually had to velcro herself into her bag for it to feel right. Now, so there are no bunks. You literally open up your bag, you just slide in, and so, you okay. it's a pod person. Yeah, well, hey, there's a pod. <laughs> now, when we get to the moon, we're going to have one. There you go. As light as we'll be on compared to here. No, but you may, your bump may be a bag hanging on a wall. I mean, and instead of one pod person in the back, I might have six or eight. Hang on a wall. Hang on a little wall in the back. Or a carpet for me. Depending on what you look at. Just hold it hold the <laughs> So anyway, the whole point about space settlement is that I truly believe that, yes, someday we'll create O'Neill cylinders. Yes, some days we'll... Somebody will create a toroid space station. And yes, someday we'll have people living on the moon, and Mars, and, and Ganymede, Callisto, Titan. Uh, someday a Roomba, Roomba will actually work on the moon. Oh, now, you, you just had to. I don't know. I think about how much stuff that thing's going to kick I out. Saw the, I saw the video where the cat was actually on top of Roomba and was riding. <laughs> yeah. You and your but here's a question. What do you think immigration policies are going to be like on the moon or in the space station when it comes to accepting people from Earth? Yeah, see, this is, this is where uh, you get into... Until they set up their own constitution. Eventually they'll have to. Why? Because once you get a certain number of people, there's going to be somebody who screws it up. Well, that's like with anything. Uh, yeah, it's all in shape. 
there it ain't. Yeah. The the thing about the commentary that I really wanted to get to, and we covered it a couple of times, is that space settlement is not going to be the gleaming, uh, shiny, wonderful thing presented in an O'Neill cylinder of Falcon One. Uh, nor is it going to be this pristine, clean space station like uh, well, for those ancient of day sci-fi fans of Space 1999 or Star Trek or Star Wars. I mean, ships are all pristine. And you know something else that was brought up in those pictures anywhere else oh, except in individual quarters. Because in the hallways, they're both. No, it is square walls. But you had square. But anyway, you know, we need to make space settlements our home. And some of the things we're going to have to have is running water somehow. The sounds of water. We're going to have to have the sounds of creatures. We're going to have to have living plants in the hallway. Otherwise, we're going to go start creating up. I thought I'm going to be <laughs> Well, let's see. Which one was that? Twelve monkeys? <laughs> oh, my God. There's so many of them. Uh, no. Well, and, and look how clean that freaking ship was. It was um, hospital white, for God's she, sake. And she actually worked for two so that you can stay effective before? Yeah, she was a Velcro fluid on the bottom. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry, right. but they would make a lot more noise than that. Rip, rip, rip. I don't know. <laughs> so the message that I want to leave with you through the, through the comments tonight is, is, is my position that when we do get to settlement, it's gonna it's gonna be more like the West or the frontier of Australia or the frontier of Canada, where you're gonna go into these small groups groups that, that are established in towns that may be just families in an open area who they're not gonna be the cleanest places, but they're gonna have great hospitality. They're gonna be able to offer you great food, company. But they're not going to be these gleaming technological marvels that the next five aliens that visit our full system are going to want to be a part of. Uh, we're looking at a frontier society, and it's going to have to be allowed to develop. We can't rush it uh, because even then, the best uh, guesstimate I've ever seen in the establishment of an O'Neill cylinder is 50 years minimum to construction with a space station. Yeah, the space station they had. So, and then once we get to the frontier, how do we handle selecting people for departure to these settlements? And then once in these settlements, how do we pick and choose who's allowed to enter emigrating? Space in these coming years, I decades. Yeah, and that's what kind of precipitated all of this. Um, but 
you know, as a, as a closing thought, no matter how hard we try, when we get into space, or Mars, or, or no, Alpha Centauri, when you get enough people together, they create political affiliation. It's who we are. It happens. Yeah, these these space societies are not going to be devoid of the problems we still exist with here on Earth.